Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. WWE employees told they would not be receiving promotion raises or bonuses an update on Steve Cutler's release, and I give you my predictions for tonight's Impact No Surrender. I'm Jaden Becker, and this is the Daily DDT Podcast. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite platforms for your morning drive, lunch break, or whenever you need your wrestling fix. If you'd like to hear more content like this, check out our writers at DailyDDT.com. If you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Jaden Becker TV. Yesterday was Friday Night Smackdown, but before we get into that, let's take a look at our breaking news. WWE employees told that they would not be provided promotions, raises, or bonuses. According to Fightful Select, this notice to these WWE employees left many of those in attendance of that meeting with very low morale. This meeting was a group of production, office staff, and other departments members but not talent or wrestlers so this is completely behind the scenes not anything that you would see in front of the camera but reports have also come out after this also from Fightful Select saying that talent is upset that WWE is making this decision and anger is at an all-time high backstage because of this decision once again employees not being provided promotions raises or bonuses just a reminder WWE recently signed a 1 billion dollar contract with NBC Universal for the rights of the WWE network not to mention as well the 1 billion dollar deal that they signed with Fox for SmackDown so that's 2 billion dollars and to say that they're not giving any of the promotion raises or bonuses uh, definitely makes you wonder what's going on in the WWE uh, higher-ups at the moment. An update on Steve Cutler's release. A few weeks back, Steve Cutler was released from the WWE. According to Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Cutler reportedly picked up the COVID-19 virus at Impact Wrestling stars Matt Cardona's house and fiance WWE superstar Chelsea Green's party. It was a uh, New Year's Eve party, and that was the virus was picked up there. Vince was said to be extremely upset, and the quote here is livid, when he found out that Cutler got sick because Vince has promised a few WWE wrestlers, including champion Roman Reigns, that they would be in a safe working environment and respectable promise to make there, given Roman Reigns' history of leukemia. So having that virus, you don't want that anywhere near the what you would want to call the WWE circle, if you will. He is currently serving a 90-day non-compete clause from his WWE contract, which will expire in early May. And we could see Steve Culler in uh, other places, but right now he'll be off any TV screens uh, for the foreseen future, at least until early May. Some good news, WWE signs Christian Casanova. According to Fightful Select, Casanova has seven years of pro wrestling experience in promotions such as Beyond Wrestling, GCW, and Evolve. And it's also said that WWE has had their eye on him for quite some time. WWE reportedly as well resumed signing talent as usual. They had stopped for a few months back because of the p- pandemic, obviously, but now are back in full swing. Great to see Guys getting contracts again, especially when they deserve it. And with a career that Christian Casanova has had early on, uh, you could see a ton of potential there in the WWE. 
And in some good news, it, it, I, we get to the back end of the week here. We started this podcast on Monday. But once again, I tell you, we're doing this every single day. You're not going to miss one day without me. And uh, there's some days where mo- news sort of slips through the cracks. And this one slipped through the cracks yesterday. Keith Lee and Mia Yim got engaged. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the, their relationship predates their uh, debut to the NXT Performance Center uh, in 2018. And now they are finally getting engaged. Keith Lee popped the question. Congratulations for everyone here at Daily DDT. Awesome to hear that for Keith Lee and Mia Yim. Even WWE uh, made a remark about it, uh, given Mia Yim's uh, character right now as reckoning. Uh, maybe they would have been a little bit more under the table about it, but nope, they, they, they went straight up. Keith Lee and Mia Yim got engaged, so that was very, very nice to see. Speaking of WWE, last night was Friday Night SmackDown. We're going to get right into it. Before the show, the the big things that were supposed to be on SmackDown was Seth Rollins' return, which we saw. And what I didn't mention in yesterday's episode of the Daily DDT podcast was Roman Reigns has a big announcement. That came out uh, yesterday and not Thursday. So that's what we ended up finding out that Roman Reigns had a big announcement. And of course, it was to start the show. And when has SmackDown not start the show of Roman Reigns in the past few weeks? I honestly can't remember. I saw a tweet. I can't remember exactly who it's from, so I can't give the proper credit here. But it's one of the writers at Daily DDT saying that Roman Reigns starting Raw excuse me, starting SmackDown is almost the exact same idea as AEW having a women's match at 9.20 p.m. It's it's almost the same exact odds there, which I found pretty funny. But it's true, Roman Reigns does start the show. And in the ring with Adam Pearce, Roman Reigns obviously, obviously makes his very, very long entrance. But, you know, it's Roman Reigns. He gets to start the show and he gets to do what he wants because he is the universal champion. Pearce is holding a contract for Elimination Chamber. And the contract says... For Roman Reigns to have a match similar to what Drew McIntyre is having at Elimination Chamber, him actually competing inside the chamber itself, but Reigns' contract, according to Paul Heyman, says that yes, even though Roman Reigns has to defend the title at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, does not mean he has to defend the title within the Elimination Chamber itself. So Heyman suggests that the Elimination Chamber match for SmackDown become a number one contendership match, and Adam Pearce ends up having to accept there. But Adam Pearce makes the right move, calling for qualifying matches instead of just naming off a list of names to be in the match, which is how it is in Monday Night Raw, where we got that Drew McIntyre was going to be in the Elimination Chamber, and he got all his opponents right at once. We did find out all the opponents at the end of the night, but at least he had to earn their way there. They had to win a match to make it there, so at least it gives them some momentum and some earned quality for making it into the match. So good on SmackDown there for putting that in, but two people, two competitors, did make it into the match automatically without having to be qualified, one being Jey Uso, who was standing in the ring next to Roman Reigns, and Adam Pearce also did a good job explaining why Jey Uso deserves that spot, not just because, not because he's a former champion, but because he did push Roman Reigns to the limit at Hell in a Cell and matches prior. He, he, he pushed Roman Reigns, giving him the right to be in the Elimination Chamber, and obviously Kevin Owens, who has done the most pushing of Roman Reigns as of late, so good on them. And once again, at the end of that segment, 
uh, Roman Reigns was face to face with Adam Pearce, like two centimeters apart, as Roman Reigns obviously stared Adam Pearce down because of announcing Kevin Owens as being a, a competitor in the match. Paul Heyman doing a great job as a special counsel. That is his title. His title adds a special counsel, and he acts like a counselor. He acts like a person that is not telling Roman Reigns what to do, but is counseling or suggesting what Roman Reigns should do. You say, do it on your time. Just a suggestion. Just a suggestion. <laughs> I have that in quotes here in my notes. Just a suggestion. I think that is an, a fantastic the way for, for Paul Heyman to carry himself as a completely different role from what he was to Brock Lesnar. Uh, Ro, uh, Paul Heyman said it himself that what he is to Roman Reigns is completely different from what he is to Brock Lesnar. When Paul Heyman needs to get in the mic for Roman Reigns is because Roman Reigns allows him to. When he gets on the mic for Brock Lesnar, he is the ultimate advocate for Brock Lesnar, not the special counsel. They're, they're two different titles, two different jobs, and Paul Heyman is living to what his job title is now. Good on him and good for staying consistent with that. But coming up next in the next segment is the first qualifier match and how they ended up doing these qualifier match. And uh, this was the idea of Sonya Deville backstage as Adam Pearce was a little stressed how he couldn't get these matches together right away. He had to do it all in one night. So Sonya Deville suggests having it be tag team matches and the two winners in the tag team that wins the match go into the elimination chamber. So the first match was Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio versus King Corbin and Sami Zayn. Winner gets the bid into that number one contendership match at the chamber. And to start things off, King Corbin walks out alone. No Cutler, obviously. No goons behind him, obviously. I think that that's going to be completely dumb from him now. And to start things off as well, Sami Zayn was attacked early on as he made his way to the ring, cutting the promo with the document documentary crew along with him. Dominic Mysterio. I want to talk a little bit about Dominic Mysterio. I've heard... Uh, I've, obviously, we've all been watching him for a long time. He, he made his way into the WWE at SummerSlam, had a great run with Seth Rollins, carried by Seth Rollins. But that's not denying the talent that Dominic Mysterio has. He has a ton of potential in-ring talent. He has a skill that his father is Rey Mysterio. If you're going to get trained by a Lucha Libre, it's going to be Rey Mysterio. So with Dominic, what he needs to work on is his mic skills. We heard him on commentary the other day. Uh, I believe it might have been two SmackDowns ago or three SmackDowns ago. Dominic had a tough time on commentary, in my opinion. He, he held himself how a normal person would hold himself on commentary. He wasn't acting as a character or acting as someone as Rey Mysterio's son. So I don't know if that's what he was going for. I would like to see a little bit more from him. He, he was acting a little bit too casual for me for it being... It, it would have been good... Let's say this. It would have been good on Talking Smack. It wouldn't have been good... And it wasn't that good on actual SmackDown, if that makes sense. So, Dominic Mysterio, once again, as I say, a ton of potential. But then again, I don't want to knock him down either. He, he'll he never reach the potential of his father. In my opinion. I could be completely wrong. This could be a, a freezing cold take that bites me in the butt in 10 years. But we're talking about Rey Mysterio here. The greatest masked professional wrestler of all time. The most well-known masked professional wrestler of all time. And I've... You really look at Rey Mysterio and you look at that mask. That is an iconic symbol 
And Rey Mysterio holds that. And to be the son, you're almost in that shadow. So if Dominic Mysterio can grow out of that shadow, that would be great. I wonder if down the line we'll see a Rey Mysterio versus Dominic Mysterio match. And if they were in the Elimination Chamber, I don't mean to spoil the match here, but they were in the Elimination Chamber together, it would have been nice to see them probably throw some punches or 619 each other. That would have been nice either. But a Huluva kick to Dominic Mysterio ends the match. Zayn and Corbin are in the Elimination Chamber. I don't have a huge problem with this. Uh, later uh, in the main event of the show, you, you'll hear the number one rule of tag team wrestling be brought up, but I won't bring that up now as Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio, even though they are father and son, haven't, done, haven't been doing a ton of tag teaming together as of late. So I could sort of let this one slide as, uh, I wouldn't say a, a mismatch pairing, but an unfamiliar pairing in King Corbin and Sami Zayn, both being former champions in their own right, uh, deserve credit to get the victory there. Next segment, Big E has a promo. To start before he announces his uh, open challenge for the Intercontinental Championship. And he made a vow to himself to be a fighting champion. Also throws in some cultural references with the Super Bowl. And funny enough, Gorilla Glue. Uh, Apollo Crews enters, accepting the open challenge before Big E even announces it. Big E says no because he already beat him twice. He says go back to catering. Which is not what you want to see. I love how catering now has become the the word of... of Guys that obviously haven't made their full potential. They're just sitting in catering, eating the food, not on TV. You know, going from, if, if they were in real times, going from city to city and just, you know, taking in the light but not doing anything with their time in the WWE. Apollo Crews trying his best to stay out of caring, catering. And Big E asks for another challenger. Out comes Shinsuke Nakamura. And in my notes here, I have, oh no, in exclamation points, because what is Shinsuke Nakamura doing here? I wanted him in the qualifying match, not in a match for the Intercontinental Championship with Biggie's being pushed to the moon. That's not going to go over well for Nakamura. They gave him his old entrance back. What am I supposed to do there? <laughs> so the match up next, Biggie versus Shinsuke Nakamura. Apollo Crews does stay ringside. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bad about Big E here. And don't get mad at me, but a lot of his matches are looking quite similar. Quite similar. I know the, the move sets, people are used to, to having a certain type of move sets, but the structure of Biggie's matches are looking pretty similar to me. You got the splash into the apron from Biggie, which I I honestly enjoy. It's one of my favorite moves from Biggie. I like that splash better than the New Day clap splash that he does in the middle of the ring. When he does it onto the apron, it kind of reminds me of Undertaker's leg drop onto the apron. It was just an iconic spot that you would see every week, but it never got old. You can always imagine like the leg dropping across the neck of Batista on the apron, like a guillotine. For, for As a kid, that I always remembered that. I still remember that to this day. That's how much it impacted me. And when Big E does something like that, it still impacts me because I look back on The Undertaker. So... I know comparing those two moves might not be exactly the same, but it gives me that same idea as we're going to see that in every match, and I'm sort of okay with that. Same thing with Randy Orton's draping DDT. I'm okay with seeing that in every match. One thing I'm not okay with seeing in every match is the Uranagi in the corner. How many times are we going to see a Uranagi in the corner? We all know when it's coming, too. Biggie's in a corner. Someone's running at him. He does a, a Uranagi every single time. So it's such an obvious spot that it sort of takes away from me for Big E. But moving on to the end of the match, the match ends in disqualification as Cruz enters the ring and attacks Big E. 
I write in my notes here once again. Thank goodness Nakamura didn't lose, but still feels devalued for not teaming with Cesaro tonight for a qualifier match. I'll, I will get into the exact what the match was for the main event in a bit, but it, so Nakamura should have been in that match with Cesaro, definitely without a doubt, because Nakamura deserves to be in that elimination chamber match, in my opinion. I hope they have something in store from Nakamura as they head towards elimination chamber. I doubt it at this point. Uh, given how the direction of what the chamber matches are starting to look like. Next segment, and the biggest segment of the night, Seth Rollins returns. And oh boy, did he return. There was highs in this segment, and there was lows. And the beginning starts off with the highs, and ends in the low. So usually, maybe, maybe you want the other way around, where you start off low and end high. But we started high, but ended a little bit low. So he returns with his old music, Burn It Down. And I'm, I, I'm not going to lie. I yelled it out in my, my dorm room, and I'm proud of that. I have my notes. Thank goodness that that music's back because uh, I was sort of sick and tired of hearing the Messiah music. It, yes, it fits him, and it fits what he was trying to do, and he really rammed into that character and did a good job for when he had it. And I, I still love that old music. It, for me, it brings back emotion and that's what you want as a fan you want that emotion to come out of you the ring was surrounded by the smackdown locker room and it was nice to see that as well i remember back it was the 2019 survivor series or the 2018 survivor series that, oh that's my trivia i'm once again i'm very bad at trivia so it was one of the survivor series where uh, seth rollins said that he wanted to be that leader of the locker room i think I believe it was a 2019 survivor series he wanted to be the leader of that raw locker room which led to the messiah gimmick so it was sort of the same look but now on friday night smackdown and after his return so and also honoring a guy that had just had a kid he mentioned that himself and he noticed in his time out that he changed he changed hopefully for the better and that he's a the father of a perfect baby girl he said that himself and th that was touching that almost brought a tear to my eye Seth Rollins saying that and you know but someone becomes a dad I, I I can't say that I'm I'm 19 years old I don't know how it is to be a dad but you you can imagine the emotion that's coming out of Seth Rollins and that was legitimate there that, that was as close to a shoot as you're gonna get from Seth Rollins there and that was really really nice and he, he said he changed his life with a new vision and that vision is that he believes that he's the great leader once again and everyone leaves ringside. So yes, he he for that was we saw the high and then we got to the low. The low there was believes that he's the greatest leader once again. I I don't know how to feel because I understand that he wants to run the course of the Messiah gimmick or of this leader gimmick. But at the same time the WWE recognizes that we might be sick of this we might be sick of this so what do they do they have everyone leave ringside it's proving that they're they're sick of it we're sick of it we don't want to see it building our sickness into the storyline so i see that effort there so instead of us just having to accept the fact that we are sick of it we are acknowledged that our sickness is legitimate and that what he is doing is not okay. Thus making him wanting to continue this gimmick, okay. Thus making him still a viable heel and not making him annoying. It's okay to be annoying in the WWE because that gets you some heat. 
but at least it legitimizes it for us. It's not just shoved down our throats. It's legitimized for us. Only one person is left at the side of the ring, and that is Cesaro. And Cesaro, we, we thought for a moment he might join sides with Seth Rollins. That would have been a bad idea, given the career of Cesaro being another lackey, not what you want to do. But he leaves the ringside area saying that you haven't changed at all. Seth Rollins attacks Cesaro, injuring him for the main event match that he has with Daniel Bryan. The main event match being Daniel Bryan, Cesaro taking on the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode, that being the main event. But once again, it was nice to see a sort of babyface Rollins for the first five minutes of the segment, but... I was hoping for a different Rollins to go the whole way through, but once again, we are legitimized for our feelings by the way that the rest of the locker room left the ringside area. We are legitimized in that feeling. We are allowed to be upset, so it's okay. The next segment, Bailey versus Liv Morgan with Ruby Riot. You can only imagine which way this match is going to go on WWE television. Liv Morgan dominated early on, and she looked really, really good. This looked like a match that Liv Morgan was going to win. And Bailey Kay comes, enters to apologize for the weeks prior, ends up screwing Liv Morgan from the victory. Bailey wins. And in an alternate universe, Morgan wins this match. The Riot Squad go for the tag team gold. And we see the Riot Squad start building towards the future because Bailey really isn't entrenched in any storylines at the moment. There's no reason to protect her in any way. She already held so much legacy for her to get a quick uh, loss to Liv Morgan, boost Liv Morgan to the moon. And I, it doesn't really hurt Bailey that much either because we know what she can do. And for her, and she'll be able to rebound no matter what, especially if, if there's a women's elimination chamber match. We could see her bounce back in that as well. But uh, either way, Bailey gets the victory at the end of the day. And... That's it. You know, Liv Morgan's left uh, to be upset. As always, Ruby Riot's left to be upset. And Billy Kay screws it once again. But uh, I would have liked to seen Liv Morgan win this match. But it's the WWE. Bailey's the, usually the better pushed person is going to win the match. It's, we're not going to see any surprises that often. And when we do, those are legitimately surprises. That's why they call them that. It's not a, an all-the-time thing. But this was a moment where it could have happened. Could happen, so maybe we could see more of these in the future and recognize it of when they could have happened, and when they do happen, we'll be genuinely surprised. Next segment: Street Profits versus Chad Gable and Otis, uh, both tag teams trying to get themselves back in the SmackDown tag team picture. Welcome back to the Street Profits, back together once again. They went to Daytona to gift number nine of the Napa car, Chase Elliott, a uh, WWE Championship belt. Uh, which it's a little odd given the fact that uh, he didn't win the Daytona 500 this year. It would have been nice to give it to the person that won it, you know, like how they gave uh, the Buccaneers a championship belt for winning the Super Bowl. Wouldn't you want to give the belt to the, uh, the person that won the Daytona 500? But I guess there's a connection there with Chase Elliott in the WWE. And gifted back helmets from the Napa 9 car and uh, number 9 solo cups as well. Nice to see that, and nice. You know, street profits are becoming that new uh, cash cow, and uh, good for the WWE on recognizing that. Nice haircut on Montez Ford as well. Uh, he he went with the clean bean, not completely bald, but he has a nice taper fade and good lineup as well. But you know, he he beaned himself. He he's no longer has a little bit of that fro that we're used to seeing from Montez Ford. 
Uh, Chad Gable dominates early on uh, against the Street Profits. Uh, oh, excuse me. He was dominated early on. Let me rephrase that as I run through these notes here. Uh, my, my handwriting isn't always too great. But <laughs> Chad Gable dominated early on by the Street Profits. Otis and Gable try for their move that they practiced uh, early on in the show and is reversed by Otis falling over the top rope by Montez Ford pulling that rope down. And Ford hits his signature frog splash on Gable for the victory. Street Profits come back with the dub. And that frog splash by Ford, uh, I'll say it every time I see it, is probably the fresh, best frog splash in all of professional wrestling right now. Strictly frog splash. Because we've all seen the frog splash from Eddie Guerrero, Sasha Banks. It, it, we see it and we, we get it and we understand the tribute to it. But the, the frog splash from Montez Ford isn't like a lot of frog splashes that we've seen before and doesn't do anything special, no flippy tricks. He just goes really, really, really high in the air. So for me, that just because it's so different in such a small way where he just elevates himself so high in the air, it makes it special. It makes it special for me. And I'm happy to see that. Sasha Banks has a segment coming up next. She calls out uh, Bianca Belair, calling her her little sister, but not in in a terribly bad way in that sense, but saying like you're 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 my like I would call someone my you're my bro, but in, in also in the same way you're my little bro. You're not you're not on the same level as me. You might be coming up, but you, you're 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 never gonna reach that same level. So she also mentions that the EST needs to meet ME at WrestleMania. So. Belair enters, and before she gets to say much, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler enters. And I'm going to apologize for Tuesday's episode where I didn't mention the my whole moment. I, I mentioned that she injured her backside, and I did hear it, but I wasn't sure if I heard it. I, was, I heard it, but I wasn't sure if what I heard was correct, so I didn't want to come onto one of my first podcasts that I'm doing for such a uh, great network such as Fanside and Daily DDT and dropping my hole on the first one. But now that it's confirmed and it has become a meme in the wrestling community, I'll say my hole a thousand times. So <laughs> uh, they, they actually end up showing up the clip of, of Nia Jax injuring herself on the apron, injuring her hole, and Nia Jax and Shayna Blazer spend no time uh, waiting, they attack the duo of Banks and Belair, but to no avail, Banks and Belair dominate, and it didn't end up turning into a match, funny enough, they ended up just splitting ways from there, and as well, Nia Jax ended up injuring her hole once again on the ring apron, so they're continuing that story with Nia Jax uh, injuring her, her backside, so it's great to see that, and always great not to see everything turn into a match, we didn't need to see that turn into a match. But uh, at the end of the day, when they two walk away, we know who is the dominant person without them, without Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler having to take a pinfall as champions, as women's tag team champions. So good to see that. We know who's the better of the two, but we didn't see an actual match, which wasn't necessary. So I'm okay with that. And also, before we move on once again, if Bianca Belair does not take on Sasha Banks, there's no point for her to win the Royal Rumble. It, 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 it's, it has to be Belair Banks at Mania. No one needs to turn heel either. Have a two a double baby face match at Mania between these two. It, it writes itself. It writes itself. You can't mess this up. Do not touch Asuka if you're, if you're a Belair. You do not. 
I beg you, please. It, it, everyone's asking for it. You got to have Belair Banks. Got to happen. Moving on to the main event. Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode versus Cesaro and Daniel Bryan. Winners get entrance into the Elimination Chamber. And before I start going into this match, remember the rules of tag team wrestling. The number one rule. The tag team should beat two singles competitors. Even though Cesaro and Bryan have amazing tag team history, they haven't tag teamed to the extent of Ziggler and Roode, who are the literal SmackDown champions. So let's remember that before we go into this match. Okay? Ziggler and Roode uh, show that they have earned tag team cohesion in the beginning of the match which is good. You want to see that the tag team is actually acting like a tag team and that Cesaro and Daniel Bryan were a little off step in the beginning. Uh, Sami Zayn and King Corbin did enter and stood ringside towards halfway through the match for a closer look. As the match continues to roll on through, Sami Zayn and King Corbin do not interfere. Dolph Ziggler, uh, excuse me, uh, Daniel Bryan and Robert Roode find themselves falling outside of the ring. Cesaro gains control over Dolph Ziggler, and Cesaro puts Ziggler in the swing and then into a nasty-looking sharpshooter, so nasty that Dolph Ziggler taps out clean. No interference at all. So remember, think about what just happened here. Just, listen, at the end of the day, the right, the people that were supposed to be in the Rumble won, the, in, not in the Rumble, excuse me, in the Elimination Chamber won, Cesaro and Daniel Bryan, they both deserve to be in the Elimination Chamber. Ziggler and Rude had no reason to be there. But why give Ziggler and Rude a loss as champions to two guys that aren't in a tag team together? Not, once again, not denying their tag team capabilities, but they're not in a tag team together. Why give them that loss? Why? It makes no sense to me. And a clean loss at that when you had the opportunity to have... The interference from Sami Zayn and King Corbin, who are ringside, ringside, not like coming out of nowhere, who were there. So the fact that it happened clean, yes, they're pushing Cesaro really, really hard right now, and I get that. And a lot of people appreciate that too, but what you're delegitimizing your tag team division. So, if uh, think about it like this. If two singles competitors can beat the tag team champions, a tag team should definitely be able to beat the tag team champions, because two singles competitors could do it. That's my argument. That's where I come from. After the match, Jey Uso attacks Cesaro with a chair. Things start to break down. Kevin Owens enters and ends up attacking along with all the Elimination Chambers all getting into a melee. Kevin Owens gets the better of it all as he hits multiple stunners. Kevin Owens speaks directly into the camera to Roman Reigns, who's watching backstage, saying that he is not done as the show fades to black. So the only problem I had with this show was the main event. Because you could have picked someone else. Instead of Ziggler and Rude. If you know what I'm saying. To take that loss to Cesaro and Daniel Bryan. You could have you could have done Gable and Otis. If you know what I'm saying. So. I'm going to end up giving the show a B-. Because it was a good show at the end of the day. I was very happy by it. I, I loved the open. I love the Seth Rollins return. I'm glad he's back. I'm glad King Corbin and Sami Zayn are in the chamber because you need those heels there. Big E's getting a big push. Apollo Crews is doing a great job in his own right. A little upset with the Bailey move, but not a show that I'm going to knock too, too hard. Nothing that 
but once again, it wasn't a show that blew me away either. A good show for SmackDown. Let's hope the go-home show is even better. Give me a reason to really want to watch Elimination Chamber. That's what I'm looking for. Let's turn that B-minus into a B-plus. How about that? Let's see how that goes. And how I really look at go-home shows is, is it missable or not? Is there a reason why I should watch the go-home show? If not, and if it's a missable show, meaning I literally do not watch SmackDown that week, which I won't, which I, I will watch SmackDown. I cover I cover this now. <laughs> I have to be watching this for your sake. But if, if there's a reason to miss it, then what was the point of having it at all? If there's no reason to watch the show, what's the point of even putting it on the show at all? That's the argument. All right, we're going to go into the break, but after that, we're going to take a look at Impact No Surrender. I'm going to give you my predictions. Get your bookies ready, because uh, <laughs> maybe my predictions will be good this time. All right, stick with us right here on the Daily DDT Podcast. On this day in pro wrestling, on February 13th of 1997, Shawn Michaels loses his smile. Yes, the infamous day. Uh, I didn't even... I remember that this happened, but uh, I didn't remember the exact day and the exact timing. And it was in February, and it, it's today. So it, it was the second ever two-hour episode of Raw. Shawn Michaels vacating the WWF Championship due to a knee injury. The argument at the time, and still an argument that floats around to this day, is that that knee injury wasn't significant enough for him to drop the title. He was only away for about three months where he needed to get surgery wasn't significant enough for him to maybe drop the belt, but they're also still a sign of mental illness at the time where Shawn Michaels legitimately did not want to be in the mood of professional wrestling, which, you know, in the day and age that we're living in now, we understand what mental illnesses and mental distress does look like. So, uh, But obviously, Shawn Michaels will move on to have uh, a fantastic career after dropping that belt, coming back into the WWF and putting on one of the greatest careers in WWE history, in professional wrestling history, be that. February 13, 2010, Tyler Black wins the ROH World Championship at ROH's 8th anniversary. Tyler Black is better known now as Seth Rollins. Oh yeah, look back at the names on that card at the 8th anniversary show. Eddie Kingston, the Briscoe Brothers, El Generico, who's Sami Zayn, Cole Cabana, Davey Richards, Roderick Strong, stack card. Stack card, and you understand looking today at Ring of Honor, still, these are going to be names that we look at Ring of Honor now that you see a couple years in the future. Oh, these, this guy's in WWE, this guy's in AEW, this guy's in Impact. You know, you, you look at that and you say, wow, this, the, a lot of people come from Ring of Honor because it's, it's a premier place to be then and still one of the premier places to be now. I don't cover uh, Ring of Honor as much as I would cover a lot of other shows. Uh, but I still watch it every week because I genuinely enjoy Ring of Honor and I love, love Ian Riccoboni. Oh my God, Ian Riccoboni, a superstar play-by-play commentator, in my opinion as well. Might be a hot take, if you will, but the best play-by-play commentator in the game. Uh, Yeah, uh, I said it, best in the game. February 13, 2010, John Moxley wins the CZW World Championship. So, did I, yes, you heard that right. Tyler Black, now known as Seth Rollins, John Moxley, both had their career, early career, defining moments that brought them to the WWE, their launching pad moments, on the same exact day. Same exact day. 
They would soon both find themselves underneath the WWE banner at FCW. And then onto the main roster as The Shield. Launching their career into the stratosphere. Seth Rollins. One of the greatest in-ring talents WWE has today. John Moxley. Regarded one of the greatest wrestlers in the world right now. Both had their biggest moments of their independent and early part of their career on the same day. Can't write it any better than that. And, you know, we talk about pro wrestling, right? Yeah, booking for the future. I'm sure that that was uh, definitely the plan. Definitely the plan. <laughs> Looking into Impact Wrestling No Surrender tonight, and I'm going to give you my predictions. I, I currently have on my computer screen all the matches that are set to be on the card at the moment. If anything new is put in, don't hold it against me. Maybe I'll tweet it out saying my quick prediction right there on the spot. But uh, right now, I'm just going to go through the predictions for tonight. No Surrendered. And it's a pretty heavy stack card, if you think about it. In a card that's not a quote-unquote pay-per-view. It's an Impact Plus special. You still got to pay for it. So <laughs> you're still paying for it. But it's not a pay-per-view like Hard to Kill was, where you spend $40 to see Kenny Omega, Good Brothers take on Moose, Chris Saban, and uh, uh, Rich Swan. So, but I think that was worth it, too, at the end of the day. So, looking at Impact No Surrender, first match. I'm not going any particular order here, but I'm probably going from uh, from lower card to, obviously, the top of the card. So, Tennille Dashwood and the Triple XL versus Decay and Black Taurus. And I'm going with Decay and Black Taurus. No reason for uh, Black Taurus to come from AAA and wherever he's coming from for no reason. He's going to come for a victory. So, I see that, that being a reason why I, I don't want to get all dirt cheaty here, but I really try my best to not get super dirt cheaty on this show. But there's no reason for a person to come from brand to brand uh, to lose. I might be hypocritical in myself when I go uh, deeper into the show, but for different reasons. For different reasons. Eddie Edwards and Matt Cardona versus Brian Myers and Hernandez. This is a tough one here. You can see Brian Myers getting the leg up, but. I think the name power between Eddie Edwards and Matt Cardona is too strong. Once again, for a person to uh, come into a company, you want to build them up. And there's no better way to build up Matt Cardona by pairing him with Eddie Edwards, who's coming off a great match with Sammy Callahan. Nothing against Brian Myers, nothing against Hernandez. I just think Eddie Edwards and uh, Matt Cardona are going to be able to get the job done. Donna Peraza, Kimberly, and Susan versus Jordan Grace, Jazz, and ODB. Uh, I think without a shadow of a doubt here, this is going to Perazzo, Kimberly, and Susan. Uh, Perazzo being a champion, knockouts champion in her own right. I think they get the dub here, and I love what they're doing with Susan. You might call me crazy, cause, but they put a Karen character, a Karen-type character on Impact Television, and Susan is doing it the right way. You know, when will she go back to Sue? I don't know. But Susan is doing a great job. Filling that role of a Karen character. And Deanna Perrazzo, obviously a great wrestler in her own right. Also love what they're doing with Jordan Grace and Jazz. I didn't talk about it when I mentioned Genesis when I was talking about Impact Wrestling a few days ago. But the Jordan Grace Jazz match that they had was fantastic because it was the first time in a long time that I saw in professional wrestling two friends, if you will, uh, that are females go at it f over something just to say, all right, let, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Let's just go for it. We could see that between Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks very soon, but Jordan Grace and Jazz to do it and say, just shake hands, loser buys the beers after. I love that type of match. And for 
them to do it between two females, which I haven't seen, I think, in a pretty long time, uh, was very refreshing and very nice between the two. And also nice to see ODB back as well, if you will. Now the triple threat revolver match is what they're calling it now. I remember being called an eliminator match. I mean, it's a I believe it's a type of gauntlet match that is a triple threat values to it. I'm still confused on the rules. If I was a little bit more involved in, in the rules process behind it, I probably could give you a better answer. I have three guys I think that could win it, and I'm going to give you all three names, and then I'm going to tell you who I think is going to win. So my three names, well, let me give you the competitors in the match. Davari, Suicide, Willie Mack, Ace Austin, Chris Bay, Josh Alexander, Trey Miguel, and Bray Christian. The three names I have are Josh Alexander, Chris Bay, and Trey Miguel. And my surprise winner is Josh Alexander. I think they give him a shot at the X Division Championship. Uh, Chris Bay, he's doing a fantastic job. I just don't think that they're going to give him the victory here, given that he was already in a couple uh, main events uh, a while back. And Trey Miguel, I think, is going to have a run with Sammy Callahan for for something that's outside the X Division Championship. So Josh Alexander makes the most sense to me. Next match, and this is probably my favorite match of the night, Diener versus Jake Something. And I'm glad it's Jake Something now, not Cousin Jake. They gave Jake a last name, and that last name was Something, his independent name, Jake Something. So very nice to see. I have Diener winning this match, and I don't... Diener, okay, Diener wins the match. <laughs> now... This is my extra stipulation that I'm putting onto it. Diener due to interference. So obviously uh, some interference from Eric Young could happen, leading to future down the line, a steel cage match between Diener and Jake something. I do not want this to end on an Impact Plus special. I want this to end at a pay-per-view. This is too big for me, in my opinion, especially with these two being a tag team and breaking up like this let this end at a pay-per-view in a steel cage let it mean something let it mean something keep all the hoopla out let these two do get out in a steel cage i think that'd be fantastic impact knockouts tag team championship fire and flavor who are the champions versus havoc and nevea fire and flavor doing a good job right now but everything is pointing in the way of havoc and nevea i'm gonna go off the beaten path i'm gonna go havoc and nevea here I think they wanted to give Fire and Flavor the belts to say that they were the first to win it when they brought these belts back. But Havoc and Nevea really been putting on shows lately, and those two together, it, you know, you have the the talent there. It's really really strong. It can go either way, and I'm still thinking about it in my head. I'm st even flip flopping right now in my mind, saying Fire and Flav Flavor could hold it and maybe possibly hold it to a pay per view, but. I feel like there does have to be a title change here. And I think Havoc and Nevea are going to be the ones to, to do that there. Impact X Division Championship, TJP, the champion versus Rahit Raju. I think it's going to stay with TJP here. Rahit Raju had his chance. I think it stays with TJP with the X Division Championship. I think one of the guys that come out of the Triple Threat Revolver match will be the one to take it off of TJP. Might not be right away, but I think that Triple Threat Revolver match, they're going to want to make it mean something if they're going to do it a little bit more often. The Impact World Tag Team Championships. The Good Brothers, who are the champions at the moment, versus Crips Sabin and James Storm, who just found their way into this match this Tuesday, versus the big name here, AEW's Private Party. 
No word if Matt Hardy's going to be there along with them. Probably will. All the thing, once again, all the signs are pointing in the way of the Good Brothers losing the championship. And it kind of makes sense. They make a triple threat match so the Good Brothers don't have to be the ones to get pinned. But with the Good Brothers appearing so much on AEW, I doubt that they take the belts off of them because Impact is going to want their logo on AEW television and that logo comes in the way of the Good Brothers and they're also under contract with Impact. So it gives the people the reason to go over to Impact. If Private Party is the Impact champions, it makes no reason for viewers to want to go over to Impact. The whole point of this partnership here, in my opinion, is to get more viewers over to Impact. What I think it's going to end up doing at the end of the day is going to bring more viewers to AEW because that is just a little bit of a bigger stage and it's easier to watch because it's on TNT. I personally don't have access television. I have to watch it on Twitch. So TNT is available for almost everybody, you know? So I find it easier for everybody if the Good Brothers come out as the champions at the end of the day. If Private Party becomes champions, that's going to be a little bit suspect for me. Give, for for Impact's sake. I think that's really going to hurt them at the end of the day. The Impact World Championship, Rich Swan versus Tommy Dreamer. Rich Swan, champion, he's going to win. I think that, that's obvious, but there's going to probably be some Moose involvement. I can't wait for Moose Rich Swan. I can't wait for Moose to be the Impact Champion. I said it. I cannot wait. I think Moose is one of the best, if not the best, in Impact Wrestling right now. And what makes me say that is because of his performance in Hard to Kill was not supposed to be in that match. Ended up getting put into that match because someone was taken out. And then he showed up and delivered at the highest possible level. Ended up stealing that match for all the attention to be towards himself at the end of the day. With a fantastic Spanish fly from the top rope. Did one of Kenny Omega's moves. That was supposed to be Kenny Omega's night, in my opinion. That turned into Moose's night. I think he did a really good job. And he deserves the belt to be put on him just because of that night. On the biggest stage in, in, in recent Impact Wrestling history, Moose stepped up. And he deserves the belt to be put on him. But it's not Moose's night yet. It's going to be Rich Swan's night as he takes on Tommy Jr., whose birthday will be... Uh, during No Surrender as well, his 50th birthday, so happy birthday to him today. Uh, preview of the next podcast, we're going to do a little bit differently. Uh, nothing too, too crazy, but I just want to make sure everyone's emotionally prepared for it. We're going to go through Impact No Surrender, and we're going to make predictions towards Vengeance Day. And just a reminder that tomorrow is Valentine's Day, so make sure you get a, your significant other a gift, some chocolate, roses, a DVD copy of WWF St. Valentine's Day Massacre on pay-per-view. That's a fantastic gift. <laughs> if you do that, send me a picture on Twitter at JaninBeckerTV or Instagram, same same handle. Uh, I would die if I saw you do that. Give St. Valentine's Day Massacre uh, a DVD copy to your significant other, whether it be your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. That would be absolutely fantastic. You'll get an easy shout out on the show if you do that. That's all for me. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite providers. If you'd like to hear content like this, check out our writers at DailyDDT.com. If you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at JadenBeckerTV. I'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the Daily DDT Podcast.